Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, Channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Shira Johnson. Autism is one of the most fascinating yet controversial childhood disorders. Everything about it, from the etiology to characteristics to treatment, has evoked controversy and strong disagreements. Today, we're fortunate to welcome Dr. Laura Schreibman, Distinguished Professor of Psychology and Director of the Autism Research Program at the University of California, San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Schreibman. Thank you very much. I'd like to begin by talking about your book, The Science and Fiction of Autism. I'm sure there's a vast amount of literature on this subject. What caused you to write your own book on autism? Well, actually, I've been in the field for over 30 years, and I have written books before, and I've written research articles and chapters, and they've all covered aspects of autism, including what are the behavioral characteristics and about diagnosis and primarily about treatment, since that's my area of research. And all this time I've been in the field, I've sort of noticed all the controversies and issues and, you know, that have been associated with the field. And I finally decided that, you know, I'm old enough, I'm senior enough, I'm just going to write a completely different book focusing on the controversies and issues in autism because I just have found them so fascinating over the years. And I somehow managed to convince Harvard University Press that this would be a good idea. Can you tell us what are some of the controversies surrounding autism? Well, autism is one of those disorders that's probably associated with more controversies than just about any other disorder, with the possible you know, uh, exception of schizophrenia. And almost everything about autism has been controversial. People have had issues relating to what's the cause of autism, is it, you know, is it biological, has it been the parents? People have argued about specific of treatments, which treatment is effective, which aren't treatment, what about the diagnosis, what characteristics of the disorder are required for the diagnosis, how broad should the diagnosis be. People have argued about whether there are core deficits, specifically cognitive deficits associated with autism. People have talked about can you cure autism, can any of the treatments that have been developed actually lead to cure, and people have argued about what the appropriate school placement for these children. Should they be integrated with typical kids or should they be in a special classroom just with kids with developmental disorders? So I would say most of the controversies and most of the activity has been in the areas of etiology and treatment. So there's no consensus regarding any of these issues? Nowadays you're seeing more consensus on some of these issues like on the etiology, but there's still controversies and new ones seem to emerge every single day. There are very few absolute absolutes in autism. Let's talk for a moment, if you will, about diagnosis. At what age is the disorder most commonly diagnosed? Well, that's interesting because it used to be when I started in the field, we never saw children diagnosed before, say, five, six, seven, eight years old. Now I'm getting children referred to me that are under a year old. And technically, the diagnosis cannot be autism until the age of three. Now, what we're finding, of course, is it's going to be possible to identify these children earlier than three, so I think that will probably move to an earlier age. But right now, technically, any child who exhibits the symptoms of autism would be given a provisional diagnosis of autism, and it wouldn't be confirmed until the age of three. That's because the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders says three is the age at which you can apply that diagnosis. So three would be the earliest age that it could be diagnosed correctly? That it could be diagnosed formally. Can pediatricians make this diagnosis, or do you find that kids are usually referred to a mental health professional? Usually they're referred to a mental health professional. I think more and more pediatricians, of course, being aware of autism and aware of what to look for, 
are more likely to send these children to mental health professionals at an early age. It used to be pediatricians just weren't sure and they didn't want to unnecessarily alarm parents, and so they would say, well, it may be a phase, let's wait, let's wait, and then by the time the children were referred, it was later. Now pediatricians are much more likely very early to refer to a mental health professional who could make the diagnosis. Can we talk for a moment about the critical benefit of early diagnosis? I'm sure it's important in these children. It's absolutely critical. What the research has shown for the past 20 years or more is that early intervention is absolutely crucial. So what you want to do is identify these children at an earlier age so that they can get into treatment programs. And ideally, you'd want them in treatment by three or even before three if possible. So what you're finding now is that a lot of children are getting a provisional diagnosis of autism and trying and the parents getting these children into treatment programs. We know that early intervention, like early intervention in many disorders, can lead to an overall better outcome. So we are seeing with the statistics today more and more children being referred in early. Absolutely. It's unbelievable how many children are being identified earlier and getting into treatment programs earlier. If you're just joining us, this is the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, Channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Shira Johnson. We have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Laura Schreibman, Professor of Psychology and Director of the Autism Research Program at the University of California, San Diego. You know, Dr. Schreibman, I assume there is quite a spectrum in the range of severity. Can you give us some examples of both the mild to the more severe cases that you've seen? Sure. Um, As a matter of fact, rather than just a diagnosis of autism these days, people talk about a spectrum of disorders, the autism spectrum. And so there is a wide range of children that you'll see on the spectrum. You can have very high-functioning children who are not mentally retarded, have normal or even above-normal IQs, and do very well. These are primarily people with Asperger's disorder or high-functioning autism, and these are individuals that aren't delayed in their development of language, but they do have often quite severe social deficits and perseverative behaviors, but they can function quite well. At the other end of the spectrum are children who have autism, plus they have a severe degree of mental retardation and severe symptoms. So these might be children that are nonverbal, have no gestural communication, are not social, won't look at people. They may engage in very severe repetitive behaviors or even self-injurious behaviors. So there's actually a wide range, and most of these children do have some degree of mental retardation. Not all, but most of them do. So it's the smaller percentage that you're going to see at the upper end of the spectrum. That's very interesting. So in the past, it was probably the more severe that were diagnosed? Absolutely. And now you're saying the trend is with earlier recognition and treatment, the children with mild autism are being picked up on, and they can benefit, too, from the treatment. Yes, I think that's true, and I think also the fact that it wasn't until 1994 that the Asperger's disorder was included in the autism spectrum disorder range so that a lot of these children who otherwise would get some other kind of a diagnosis, like you know, emotionally disturbed or something, are being identified as being on the autism spectrum, and so they're being included. So we're seeing a lot more of those children than we would have in the past. And who would you say, who does autism affect the most? That's a good question because this is a disorder that affects just about everybody that comes in contact with the child. 
It affects the child. It affects the parents. It affects the school systems. It affects other kinds of clinical programs, speech pathologists, and the community because this is an expensive disorder to deal with. I'm not sure if that's what you were asking or who's most likely to become autistic. Well, if there are characteristics of children that are more frequently affected or that you see more often. Actually, no. When autism was first described by Leo Kanner in 1943, he described not only the children, but he described the parents of these children. And he looked at these parents and he said that, well, he noticed that many of them were very well educated, had advanced degrees, even the parents, even the mothers, rather. And, of course, in 1943, not many mothers were out there with advanced degrees and that they tended to be white, and they tended to be upper class and Jewish, et cetera, et cetera. But then when people began to look at, well, let's see, what kind of parent is most likely to bring their child to Leo Kanner at Johns Hopkins University, the most famous child psychiatrist in the country, and that would be that population. So it doesn't seem to be more evident in ethnic groups, racial groups, geographic location. It seems to be, unfortunately, an equal opportunity disorder. So if I asked you the type of cases you're seeing today and how do they differ from 10 or 20 years ago, really what you're saying is the spectrum is larger and and we're looking harder. And is more money being put into treating and helping these children? Oh, absolutely. I think this is a disorder where the parent groups, the parent advocacy groups, have been very effective in making their case known and lobbying the, the government and absolutely keeping the schools, you know, working on the problem. And I think the parents can be credited with a good deal of this because I think they've pushed so much for more research into the biological basis of autism and treatment of autism and the education of autism. So you're seeing a lot of that now. So it's very different. We're seeing all kinds of kids, and the impact is, is huge. Would you say the tax dollars are spent pretty equally compared to other diseases that hit childhood so severely across the board? Absolutely not. It has a way to go? Well, I think autism is getting more than other disorders, I think, maybe because of the parent advocacy, maybe because of the reports of the increased incidence of the disorder. So I think if you look at where the tax dollars are going, if you compare maybe autism versus mental retardation versus cerebral palsy, et cetera, et cetera, that more is going to autism. Thank you very much. Our guest today has been Dr. Laura Schreiben, professor of psychology and director of the Autism Research Program at the University of California, San Diego. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for today's medical professional. There's another great segment coming up. Please stay tuned.